0: Hello and welcome to Fraud Eat Strategy, an FTI consulting podcast series in which we explore the myriad ways that fraud, corruption, and misconduct can derail strategy and cause havoc. I'm Scott Moritz, a senior managing director at FTI's risk and investigations practice where I assist clients and their outside counsel in managing their response to event-driven white-collar crime, misconduct, and bribery incidents. On April 3rd, 2016, Information about 214,488 offshore companies established by Panamanian law firm Mossack Fonseca was leaked. The leak comprised over 11 million documents and 2.6 terabytes of data and opened a rare glimpse into how the wealthy and powerful shelter their income and conceal their wealth. Named in the leak were 12 current or former world leaders, 128 other public officials and politicians, hundreds of celebrities and businessmen, and other wealthy individuals from over 200 countries. It triggered investigations in 82 countries as citizens took to the streets across the globe to protest about the plutocracy and corruption exposed by the Panama Papers leak. Subsequent leaks followed. The Paradise Papers in November 2017, the Luxembourg Leaks in 2019, and the FinCEN Files in 2020 in which the Financial Crime Enforcement Network, which is the U.S. government's Financial Intelligence Unit, had its repository of suspicious activity reports hacked and leaked, exposing thousands of suspicious activity report filings about suspected money laundering, financial crime, and terrorist activity. And of course, in 2017 and 2018, Denmark's Danske Bank revealed its role in laundering of over $200 billion of money through its tiny branch in Estonia, where the global domestic output is only $26 billion per year. Throughout the course of each of these scandals, the outrage grew, and many countries began passing laws to make it much more difficult to obscure the ownership of companies. Since the Panama Papers leak, a total of 81 jurisdictions worldwide have passed laws requiring beneficial ownership to be registered with a governmental authority. The U.S. government has been openly critical of countries who act as money laundering safe havens, and yet we were not taking steps toward transparency ourselves. That all changed on January 1st, 2021, when both houses of Congress passed the National Defense Authorization Act for fiscal year 2021, which includes the Corporate Transparency Act. The act requires a report to be filed with FinCEN that identifies each beneficial owner of an applicant, a reporting company. Joining me today is Ballard Spahr litigation partner and anti-money laundering expert, Peter Hardy. Peter is a national thought leader on the subject of money laundering, anti-money laundering and criminal tax law. He's co-practice leader and founder of the firm's anti-money laundering team. He edits and frequently contributes to Money Laundering Watch, which is Ballard Spahr's blog devoted to criminal and regulatory money laundering issues. He's also the author of Criminal Tax Money Laundering and Bank Secrecy Act Litigation, a well-reviewed and comprehensive legal treatise published by Bloomberg BA. Peter co-chairs Practicing Law Institute's annual Anti-Money Laundering Conference and is on the steering committee of the Cambridge Forum on Sanctions and AML compliance. Peter advises corporations and individuals across a range of industries against allegations of misconduct, including money laundering, tax fraud, mortgage fraud, and lending law violations, securities fraud, FCPA violations, and other financial fraud. He also counsels financial institutions on their AML obligations under the Bank Secrecy Act and other compliance requirements. Peter also defends financial institutions in complex civil litigation involving allegations of fraud and related BSA AML compliance failures. Before entering private practice, Peter spent more than a decade as a federal prosecutor He served as an assistant U.S. attorney in Philadelphia, where he focused on fraud and financial crime cases. He also served as a trial attorney for the Department of Justice's tax division in Washington, D.C., where he tried criminal cases in a number of federal districts. Welcome, Peter, and thank you for joining me today. Thanks, Scott. I'm delighted to be here. So the Corporate Transparency Act requires most corporations and limited liability corporations to disclose their actual beneficial owners directly to FinCEN. It sounds simple enough, but how is this disclosure to FinCEN going to work in practice, Peter?
1: Excellent question. First, we start with a reporting company, and we can maybe talk a little later about exactly what that may or may not mean. But essentially, a U.S. or foreign entity with some major exceptions, can include a corporation, an LLC, or what have you, some sort of similar entity that is created by the filing of a document with the Secretary of State or formed under the law of a foreign country and registered to do business in the United States. So the key here is that there is a filing with a state or a tribal government. So that's step number one. That's the reporting company. So if you're a reporting company, then what do you have to do? Well, of course, this is going to be dependent upon the regulations that FinCEN has to issue. And, and by the way, FinCEN is definitely going to have a hands full over the next year because the CTA was part of a much more expansive amendment to the Bank Secrecy Act, the anti Money Laundering Act of 2020. And Congress has really loaded up the plate of FinCEN and other entities at Treasury. So there's a lot going on, but they need to issue regulations under the CTA, so we'll see how those play out. But having said all that, what we know from the statute is that once you form yourself, you know, you, you do that filing, then you need to file a report, like you said, with FinCEN. Now, the details of that report need to be worked out, and presumably in the proposed regulations, FinCEN is going to propose some sort of go-by or standard form. But what we do know is within that report, you're going to have to list the full name, date of birth, current business or residential address, and a unique identifying number for each, quote, beneficial owner. And we can chat a little bit about what a beneficial owner is. Instead of providing your unique identifier, you could also provide something that's new called a FinCEN identifier. Which is going to be a unique identifier that you obtain separately through FinCEN. Any reporting company formed before the effective date of the regulations is going to have to submit that report within two years. And then, obviously, any corporations that are formed going forward are going to have to do so as well. If there's a change to your beneficial ownership structure, you have to submit a revised report within one year. And it's easy to contemplate that FinCEN may increase those requirements. Now, to be a master of the obvious, everything I've been talking about here involves a report to FinCEN, not to the state in which you're registered. And that will probably become important, I think, later in our discussion. So then what happens? Well, FinCEN is going to create a national database of all these beneficial ownership reports. And I think it's fair to say, with all due respect to FinCEN, that we can expect SNFUs. It's a huge undertaking. And I just want to get back to a comment I made a little bit ago about the fact that, meanwhile, FinCEN has all these other projects that are put on its plate by Congress. So that's an agency that's going to have to staff up and presumably get some more funding uh, because there is a lot to do. And I'm sure that this database will be a small undertaking. OK, so we have the database. Well, who can use it? Well, obviously, federal law enforcement, but also state and local and tribal law enforcement if they get appropriate court authorization. Long story short, foreign uh, law enforcement agencies through international treaties and vis-a-vis the U.S. federal government, that's really key because, as you know, in terms of AML and money laundering enforcement, it's becoming much more international and there's a great deal more cooperation amongst the countries. Financial institutions can access this information. That's going to be a big thing for them as long as they have consent from their own customers. And then the federal functional regulators, such as the Office of the of Currency. Final note, you know, why is all this going on? Well, this just kind of gets back to the comments you made in in your introduction. In the CTA, Congress has a section entitled The Sense of Congress. The Sense of Congress is the following. There's about 2 million entities formed every year, corporations and LLC in the United States. So that database is going to be a big undertaking. Most states do not require beneficial ownership information to be provided at the time of incorporation. And Congress is concerned about malign actors using corporate structures. There's some colorful language in there about um, Matroska dolls. Those are the nesting Russian dolls and the use of anonymous shell companies and, you know, one after another in order to mask beneficial ownership. So that's the point. One thing that it doesn't cover is partnerships, sole proprietorships, trusts, and unincorporated associations. So that's a potential loophole going forward, if you want to use the word loophole. It simply doesn't apply to those, and those entities are still
0: out there and not subject to these requirements. Thanks, Peter. So a couple of follow-up questions. That was really good information. And yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Vincent is, is getting hit from every direction in terms of increased obligations coming out of this statute and AMLA and, and a few other things that have been added to their plate recently. But for the benefit of listeners who may not be any money laundering experts, how does the statute define beneficial owner?
1: So there's two parts. One is someone and it's a person. That's the whole point. You want to get to the actual human beings who are behind the entity, who exercises, quote, substantial control. Now, that's going to be one of those terms that is going to be subject, shall we say, to interpretation. There's a more straightforward prong, which is the ownership prong. And that is anyone who owns not less than 25% of the entity. So simple math, you're talking from one to four people under the ownership prong. This definition is equivalent to the definition of beneficial ownership under the CDD rule, Customer Due Diligence Rule, otherwise known as the Beneficial Ownership Rule, that was enacted by FinCEN and made effective in 2018. So, that regulation is kind of the converse of this situation. CTA applies to the companies, the CDD rule from FinCEN applies to financial institutions that are taking on companies as customers. And under the CDD rule, it's the financial institutions that have to obtain and maintain beneficial ownership information of their new accounts for their entity customers, of course, as that's all defined. So happily, these two definitions here converge. Oh, and one last thing in terms of this definition under the CTA of beneficial ownership, it excludes nominees, agents, and intermediaries. Now, I think the point there from Congress is, if you are an agent, if you are an intermediary, if you are a nominee, and these are loaded terms, of course, and your name is being listed as the beneficial ownership on a form, that's going to be a problem, and you could be subject to an enforcement action or penalties. It's making the point that you know runarounds will not be tolerated. Perhaps easier to articulate than enforce in practice. But this language presumably will assist in any downstream enforcement actions against individuals who have been
0: perceived as trying to play games with the reporting department. Thanks, Peter. Now, you mentioned a moment ago that not all types of legal entities are subject to the Corporate Transparency Act. If we could go into maybe a little bit more detail in terms of the types of entities that are exempt and the rationale underlying some of these exemptions.
1: So there's, there's quite a few exemptions. They're pretty similar but not totally identical to the exemptions that exist in the CDD regulation that I referenced from FinCEN. So, one, banks. Two, issuers of securities that are registered with the SEC, federal credit unions, money services businesses that are registered with FinCEN, certain investment advisors, a little bit of a complicated definition there, publicly traded companies. That's a big one. That's key insurance companies as defined, 501c exempt organizations or political organizations that are also tax exempt. And then here's an important one, which is any entity, doesn't have to be publicly traded, that has more than 20 full-time U.S. employees in the prior year filed a U.S. tax return reflecting $5 million or more in gross income. With all the entities that I listed up until the last one, the reasoning is they're already subject to various reporting requirements, so this would be superfluous, or at least the, the benefits do not outweigh the costs of imposing this extra compliance burden. I think that the reasoning with the entities that have more than 20 full time employees and $5 million in gross receipts is these are just simply not the sort of vehicles that, generally speaking, Congress is worried about as instruments of money laundering because they're sufficiently quote legitimate for lack of a better term. They're really focused on smaller entities that are easier used for simply moving money around as opposed
0: to you know employing lots of people or generating income. Could these exemptions lead to an uptick in money laundering involving exempt entities such as publicly traded companies or dormant entities or some of those tax exempt legal entities that you mentioned a moment ago? I suppose at the margins,
1: it's always possible. But, you know, just kind of taking a few of them one at a time. Publicly traded companies, I doubt it. There is an exemption also for dormant companies, which I won't go into the details. But essentially, among other things, if there's less than $1,000 in or out of a company within a year, it's also exempt. That's probably not going to be much of an uptick either, because $1,000 is a very low threshold tax exempt entities, maybe certainly there have been you know enforcement actions involving tax exempt entities that have been misused for a variety of reasons, certainly including money laundering. But you know, I kind of want to go back to it's not so much the exemptions; it's the entities that are not defined as reporting companies in the first place, so they're not exempt because they're never in there in the first place and and that is the trusts, the sole proprietorships. You can have an entity that is not formed by filing something with the secretary of state. So I think that folks who worry about this stuff, and whether you're law enforcement or, you know, watchdog group or what have you, those are going to be the entities that are going to continue to be the focus of attention. And indeed, in the CTA, Congress has requested Treasury to do a lot of reports. There's a lot of reports that are due under the CTA. Again, gets back to all this stuff having been dumped on FinCEN and Treasury. One of those reports involves looking
0: into if there's a money laundering loophole regarding those same entities. Another thing you, you touched upon briefly a little earlier in your remarks was that FinCEN is going to be required to provide any person that submits an ownership statement with a FinCEN ID. What's the purpose of these FinCEN IDs as a practical matter?
1: Very generally, I mean, one, on a simplistic matter, it just streamlines reporting and tracking. But I think there's another thing going on, which is data privacy and security issues. If you have this tracking number, then there's just simply less pieces of of data out there that have your, your date of birth or your social security number or something like that. Of course, this all presumes that FinCEN itself, because it's going to want that information to provide a tracker. FinCEN itself will be capable of protecting that data, and nothing against FinCEN, but certainly as we've seen in the news of the last year, the U.S. government and many businesses have been subject to a lot of hacking, particularly from overseas. FinCEN and and really anyone handling this information is is going to be required to establish protocols to protect the security and confidentiality of the beneficial ownership information and other data
0: that's at issue in the overall ESA amendments. And to your point about it presupposes insensibility to protect this data, I don't know about you, but I get free credit monitoring from the U.S. government thanks to them having mislaid my top secret clearance application, 114 pages of detailed information about me and my family in the hands of foreign government. But I digress. So one variable that has hampered banks' ability to perform customer due diligence In the past, is the unfortunate reality that you and I contend with with some frequency, which is that not everyone tells the truth. The CTA has sought to address this by criminalizing lying about or concealing beneficial ownership information. Can you walk us through the newly enacted criminal penalties that are part of CTA?
1: So they break it down in terms of failure to report or a misleading report, and then there's a separate penalty for inappropriate disclosure or misuse of the information. So we've got going in and going out. In terms of the lying on the report or failing to file a required report, the mental state requirement is willfulness, which is pretty high. And there's, quote, only a two-year maximum penalty. And I say only two years just because, as you know, many federal statutes have maximum prison sentences of 5, 10, 20 years, what have you. Now, interestingly, the disclosure violation, which is really, you know, more directed towards government actors themselves, because they're going to be the recipients of this information, it's a five-year penalty. And then there's there's various you know, civil penalties. There is a safe harbor under the provision that applies to lying or failing to, to file. Essentially, it says that within 90 days, if you have come to the conclusion that the information you provided is incorrect, then you can amend but the safe harbor does not apply if you did it on purpose in the first place to your point about yeah human nature and people lie and getting back to the cdd rule from fincen you know the way that's set up is in the absence of red flags the financial institution receiving the beneficial ownership information can rely on the attestations Of the customer. You know, I I think one of the things to watch in terms of how these these penalties play out is both the CDD rule and the CTA put the the onus on the entities, which I think is appropriate. And of course, folks who may get caught up in that, either under some conspiracy or aiding a vetting theory, are going to be advisors, such as perhaps lawyers who are working with entities who are filing these reports. You know, the final thing on the penalties is in terms of big picture enforcement, are these going to be a panacea? No, the enforcement actions and investigations are going to be few and far between. But It'll be helpful, right, in specific cases and look back. And there's probably going to be some deterrence effect at the margins. You know, people will think twice or maybe they'll just go outside of the U.S. financial system. But at the end of the
0: day, if you have somebody... Who is determined to lie? They're probably going to do it. It's a really good point. So it's not like somebody who, irrespective of the statutory prohibitions, may be they're setting up a bank account for the express purpose of laundering their criminal proceeds. The penalties associated with that are not going to <laughs> dissuade them from doing it. They're they're doing things that are far greater implications and penalties than you know is producing the illicit money in the first place. So a lack of transparency for legal entities has challenged financial institutions' ability to perform customer due diligence for three years. This is nothing new. In fact, Vincent issued the uh, customer due diligence rule in 2016, which requires banks to identify and verify beneficial owners and new account holders, and that went into effect in 2018. And the wording of the CBD rule and the CTA are really nearly identical. CTA was reportedly enacted Actually, to relieve banks of some of the burdens of implementing the CDD rule. What is the interrelationship between the CTA and the CDD rule? And has the CTA delivered on its promise to relieve the customer due diligence burden on banks?
1: Another great question. We'll see. I'm a little agnostic on that. So the CDD requires financial institutions to obtain beneficial ownership information from entity clients when they're opening up new accounts. And FinCEN has issued a form that you don't have to use, but pretty much most banks use it. It's like a one-page. The beneficial ownership definition, like we talked about, is the same between these two statutes. However, the CTA's definition of a quote reporting company is a little more narrow than the entities covered under the CDD rule from FinCEN. So the CDD rule applies regardless of whether or not you've got 20 employees and file tax returns reporting over $5 bucks. So it applies to all such non-publicly traded companies. The CDD rule applies even if it's not registered to do business in the United States. So there's differences, and, and essentially the CDD rule is broader and imposes more obligations on financial institutions. You know, a lot of this lead up to the passage of the CTA, there was a lot of discussion about how this would help financial institutions, banks, in terms of implementing the CDD rule. We'll see how the regulations play out. I mean, honestly, I think that it's going to add another layer to everything. In many ways, will I think invariably actually increase the compliance burden, because, you know, what do you do if there's a disconnect? between what your customer has told you, courtesy of CDD and what FinCEN has received in its database. Now, I suppose one option is they'll set up a system where if you file with FinCEN and you have to file with FinCEN, then the bank can just rely on that perhaps and you don't need a separate form. But despite perhaps the best of intentions, invariably how these things tend to play out, is every new rule is just another layer of, of complexity and just another thing for a Bank Secrecy Act anti-money laundering compliance department to have to keep track of. Now, I do think that from a legal liability standpoint, a CTA is good for financial institutions because just to dumb it down is an easy way and legitimate to point the finger and blame the entities or even the government itself if there's problems in terms of the reporting of the beneficial ownership. Now, that's a point that a lawyer can love, but not a compliance department, because it's the folks in the compliance department who have to institute processes and procedures in the first instance. So it may not really ease burden, but if there's a problem down the road, it may make regulatory and legal liability
0: less burdensome for the financial institution. You know, a lot of what's the language in the CTA and for that matter, in the CBD rule has to do with newly formed entities or newly established banking relationships. And so looking at it through the CBD rule lens, there's this whole category of banking relationships that predates the implementation of the CBD rule in 2018. And then entities that are established before the passage of the CTA are likewise under at least no initial obligation to disclose their beneficial owners. At what point is there going to be some sort of true up where the overwhelming majority of banking relationships that have these pre-existing customer relationships with banks, will they have to comply with the CTA?
1: It's going to be a little messy and hard to tell because so under the CTA within two years, entities that pre-existed the regulations being issued under the CTA are going to have to disclose their beneficial ownership defense. Now, that's not the same rule under the CDD rule. It's even confusing, like these two acronyms, because they're so similar themselves. So under the CDD rule, if you're a financial institution, you only have to get beneficial ownership for new accounts. What that means is that there's going to be this time lag where you've got entities that are created before the regulations are, are instituted, are going to be filling out their forms to the financial institutions under the CDD, but they don't have to give anything to FinCEN until perhaps two years later. So then are the financial institutions going to be in the position of having to go back and look at that, which they already have collected in that time period to that, which was now being filed. I don't know. You know, hopefully there won't be an actual requirement imposed through the new regulations, but one problem with AML is it's nice when the regulators say that oh everything needs it's just risk based and you know tailored to your customers, but the reality is every time there's a new form that or a new reg that comes out, it's just layered on to an already incredibly complicated set of requirements, and you can see scenarios where you know regulators come in to examine a bank and it's like okay there's no actual rule that you had to do this. We're troubled that you
0: didn't, and et cetera et cetera. i'm a little a little nervous on that front right. It can vary from individual regulator to individual regulator in terms of what their peccadilloes are. They follow the f f i e c guidance, but they also have things that they like to see that may you know be somewhat of a departure of what another regulator might be doing on a different exam, so yeah, that's only going to add to that variability, and I think you're right.
1: Absolutely. And the regs are, are vague. It's only been relatively recently that BSA regulation enforcement has really come into its own, and there's more clarity and guidance. But, you know, and the exam manual is very long, but there's a lot of topics in it, and it's very high level. So there's the, the reality is is that there's still a lot of guesswork in NAML compliance. It's just inherent. That just keeps compliance departments up there.
0: So, you know, this whole concept of reporting beneficial owners and the onus being on the reporting company, the newly formed entity is on their own obligation to report directly to FinCEN. It strikes me as it's really an honor system. Are there any kind of controls built into this, you know, like a trust but verify sort of thing where individual secretaries of state of the 50 states? banks, corporate registration agents, or other parts of the kind of the corporate registration ecosystem are obligated to report beneficial owners as well? This is a key question.
1: It's perhaps not a total honor system, but you're definitely onto something, and there's a big aspect to that. But the financial institutions, under the CDD rule, financial institutions must collect beneficial ownership information, but they just have to hold on to it and then provide it when and if asked. So if I'm a bank and I'm collecting all this stuff, I just got to hold it. You know, it's not going. Anywhere. And of course, the entities that are forming and registering must disclose the information to FinCEN. But I think your point is, your question is, well, how do you know if somebody's registered but hasn't bothered to uh, send anything to FinCEN? Well, that's definitely going to be... a Big, huge practical problem that's going to have to be worked out by the government because the CTA states it says nothing about providing it to a state. Now, there is a provision in there where states and tribes that are receiving federal funds under this section must notify filers of the the FinCEN requirements and have to provide filers with a copy of whatever form is going to be generated and provide a link. So if you want to get your federal funds, you state must put that up there. Now of course, and not to get too lawyerly about it, but the reality is not all states are crazy about this new law. How are states going to word that? <laughs> because what's being required is for the states to tell people about the fact that the federal government wants this information. And will there be further action on this front? There's been other legislation that was you know, bandied about, it, it wasn't passed in January, where it would require states themselves to obtain this information and provide it. That's not what got passed. Now, maybe downstream something like that will happen because the key thing now is states don't need to force people to do this unless they want to, they being the states. now. There is another requested study, of course, lots of studies uh, under the CTA, a legal entity study, and I'll just read a little bit of the language because it gets right to it, where Congress wants Comptroller General of the United States to go out and do a study and identify each state that has procedures that enable persons to form or register in the laws of their states, dot, 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 and identify each state that requires persons seeking to form or register partnerships to provide beneficial ownership information. The converse being, let's find out who who doesn't require this, because many states don't, and then et cetera, et cetera, and then what states, if any, the United States essentially should take to address this problem, assuming it's a problem, and also to address, looping back to your very opening, criticisms of the United States by, by the rest of the world regarding up until now disinclination of the federal government to require beneficial ownership. So I, I think it's going to be a process
0: and I have to imagine that just the human nature aspect of it, there's going to be a pretty big delta between the number of entities that are registered in a you know given year versus the number of entities that have disclosed their beneficial ownership under CTA to FinCEN in a given year. And there's going to, at some point, there's going to have to be some sort of wholesale reckoning because the data is available electronically, you know, fragmented, though it may be, across the 50 states. Yet another Herculean challenge for FinCEN already overburdened. So it should be interesting. One last question, Peter, and this has been really great. So what should banks and other entities that are subject to the CTA's authority be doing to ensure that they're operating in adherence to the CTA?
1: I mean, I think for right now at the immediate moment, it's it's standby because there's no immediate requirements placed on financial institutions through the CTA. We still need to see the regs and how they are going to play out in practice. And obviously, financial institutions are going to have a chance during the notice and comment period to, to weigh in on whatever is being proposed by FinCEN. And, and I think we can comfortably expect a, a very robust response by the industry to whatever it is that, that FinCEN is, is suggesting. You know, in terms of the covered entities, well, get ready to deal with it. I think there's going to be a lot of folks, especially with who deal with wealthy people in general, but particularly from offshore, who are going to have to start having conversations with their clients and their clients' representatives and their clients, others advisors. And you know the bottom line is you're going to have to be truthful and you're going to have to be straightforward on these forms as the vast majority of people will be, and I mean that. But if you're going to engage in the US financial system, and you just need to come to terms with the fact that beneficial owners will be listed on this form and considerations regarding privacy in in other countries. And people worry about all sorts of stuff, which is, you know, the safety of their finances. And they worry perhaps about the governments of their home countries and, you know, unpredictability and authoritarian regimes, and cetera. Culturally understood, but again, just there's going to be a year before the regs are, are issued, and then there'll be some time before they kick in. But U.S. advisors need to start dealing with their clients.
0: Thanks, Peter. Well, that's all the time we have today. This this has really been great. I mean, I, I've read a lot about this, but just your answers have really kind of helped elevate my understanding of what the CTA requires, and, and hopefully our our listeners feel the same way. So really, really appreciate your time today.
1: It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much.
0: That was Ballard's Bar partner and AML expert, Peter Hardy. This concludes this episode of Fraud Eat Strategy. I'm Scott Moritz, Senior Managing Director in FTI Consulting's Risk and Investigations Practice, and thank you for listening. Stay tuned for the next episode of Fraud Eat Strategy. If you have an idea about a fraud or corruption case topic or guest you'd like to hear about on a future episode, email us at fraudeatstrategy at fticonsulting.com. Thanks for listening.